you've got your handouts with you this morning, go ahead and turn to the white insert that's inside them as we think about God's use of this man, Moses, and the heart of a leader that he had, and uh, the call on his life. And today we're going to really look at uh, a, a hiccup point in Moses' life, a time when he didn't just obey the Lord, he threw out some excuses. In fact, he threw out five different excuses. We're going to look at least four of them today. That's why I've called it Lose Your Big Butts. The butts in your life that uh, came, come up and the ones that Moses used where you would say, I want to be used by you, God, but... And you fill in the blank, whatever that is. And we're going to look today at saying, God, use me anyway, in spite of myself and the things that would be excuses in my life. You see, God had placed a dream inside Moses' heart. God had placed an instinctive and developed passion for being used by him to release the people of God, to deliver the people of God. And he got in his own way as a young man of 40, and it ended up costing him a, a, a long desert span, 40 years where he was tending sheep in the deserts of Midian. And God doesn't let that dream die, either in Moses nor in his big plan for things. So he unearths it, he brings it back to life, he causes this call to come back to Moses, and that's why I'm kind of using this as a dare to dream again series where there was this dream inside of Moses and it had been crushed, it had been on, on, on hold and dormant for 40 years, God brings it to the forefront and dusts it off and unfolds it and says, Moses, dream again. Moses, I'm going to use your life. Moses, I have a plan for you and it will be amazing. Follow me. And of course, that's where Moses begins to have some fear begins to have some doubt. And let, let's, let's just look at this scripture as we sense what God does with Moses. When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look at this burning bush, by the way, it's a, a, a burning bush that doesn't burn up. If it had just been a burning bush that burned up, right. Moses wouldn't thought much of it. That happens in the desert, spontaneous combustion. But this was a bush that kept on burning and yet didn't burn up. The bush was unaffected by the fire that was raging inside it. And so Moses turned aside to see what was going on. Now, I want you to note, it was as God saw him that he had turned. When the Lord saw that he'd gone to look, that's when God called him. By the way, it's always as we take steps that God meets us there. Remember last week, if any of you were here, we talked about the, the serpent that Moses picked up, and it was as he picked it up that it turned back into a staff. Moses didn't say, okay, you turn it back into a staff, and then I'll pick it up. Over and over in the scriptures, the principle is you move in your faith and believing, and God will meet you there. Don't wait for God <laughs> Move, do what you have already been called to do, do what you already know to do. In this case, 
he senses the miraculous. He senses the hand of God, and instead of running from it, he goes toward it. He went over to look, and it's that moment God calls to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, I have something for you. In fact, that's when he begins to say to him, I am going to use your life. And Moses just says, here I am. Here I am. Now, if Moses had stopped with that phrase, here I am, or even went like the uh, Isaiah, the prophet said, here am I, send me. <laughs> you know, we wouldn't be having this sermon today on excuses, okay? But Moses didn't. There was a little interlude here, and so we're looking at a, a weakness, but I think a common weakness. I think something that we can identify with as humans that Moses had in his character, and it wasn't flawless, you know, and we can learn from that. Let's first of all notice the call on his life. This is this few verses here, 7 through 10 of chapter 3. The Lord said to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. Just, just pause there for a minute. Do, do you sense the truth and reality that when there is misery, God sees it? Sometimes we wonder, can't God see what's going on? Be assured. Rest confident. God sees. He says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people. It's not gone beyond his notice. He, well, look at the next phrase. I have heard. He not only sees the misery, he says, I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned. Look, look at that. He not only hears and sees, but he's concerned. In those two verses, we've already got, I've seen, I hear their cry, and I'm concerned about their suffering. Don't doubt either any one of those three things. God always sees, God always hears the cries, the prayers of his people, and God is concerned when they're suffering. You know, he's the one who's prepared a day and a time and an age when there will be no more suffering, when every tear will be dried from our eyes, when there won't be any disease, suffering, or death. He's the one that planned that for us, but right now, we live in the midst of a mixed world, good and bad, grace and evil, both in our world, and it's our chance, it's our opportunity to decide what are we going to do, where are we going to be, who are we going to follow, and in this case, just to note, he sees, he hears, he hurts. That's what that, those two verses bring that out, and this has been for years getting worse and worse and worse, getting more difficult in Egypt. So, what does God decide to do? He says, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Okay, God, you see, you hear, you hurt, and you rescue. Go, God, see you later. What's interesting is God's not done with his plan. He is going to rescue, 
But guess who he's going to use in the rescue. Guess whom he's going to use? God loves to use us. I don't know all the reasons why. Because God could just, he could zap the Egyptians and kill them all and God's people would be free, but he chooses not to. He always chooses to partner with us, with people. In fact, that's the, <laughs> I'm going to put them in a land of milk and honey. And now the cry of the Israelites have reached me. I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. It's like, okay, wait a minute. You're going to rescue them, so I go? <laughs> yeah. In this call, in this plan, I've got a plan for you in the midst of it. So go now. I am sending you <laughs> to Pharaoh. But, 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 Lord, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't you know I'm the one that's in exile from Egypt right now? Because at age 40, I took it in my own hands instead of trusting you, and I killed a guy, buried him, and I got in trouble for it, and now Pharaoh's got my head on his list. <laughs> I've got a bounty on my head because of what I've... You can't be sending me to Pharaoh to bring the people out. I've been hiding for 40 years. I'm past my prime, God. is a good excuse, right? You know, he, he, he went into exile at age 40, which most people would say, that's not even quite middle age yet, right? You know, they'd say, I'm past my prime. I'm 40 years old. Now, 40 years later, how old is he? 80 years old or young. God, you can't be taking an 80-year-old to go do this big, mighty thing. Yep. Yep. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So let's get this straight. God sees. God hears. God feels. He's concerned. And God sends God sends. That's what God loves. In the New Testament, it's the same picture. God could just zap people with an understanding of the gospel, but he doesn't. You know who he chooses? He says to us in Mark chapter 16, preach the good news. I'm going to use you to tell everybody the good news. He says, I'm going to tell them about release of captives. I'm going to tell about freedom from from." I'm going to tell him about health and wholeness. I want you to tell the good news about Jesus. He puts it in our hands. He gives us the opportunity to partner with him. He is sending us. In fact, here's what he said. As the Father, Jesus said this, as the Father has sent me, in the exact same way, I'm sending you. Now, wait a minute, Lord. He sent you from heaven to earth to die. He says, I'm sending you the same way. I want you to be my mouthpiece. I want you to be my hands, to be my heart, to be my feet, to be the gospel for people. I am sending you. The Bible says that um, as God sent the Son, so the Son sends us. So what is your big dream what is God going to unearth for you what is it that God may be calling you to do that might initially say here am I but might also bring up some excuses 
some things where you would want to ask for a pass, you know, ask for uh, God to use somebody else. The dictionary says the definition of an excuse is a reason or an explanation put forward to get out of a responsibility. A reason or an explanation put forward to get out of a responsibility. That's what ends up happening with Moses. And what we're going to talk about today is God using us anyway. Last week we used the phrase, three words, God use me. Do you remember that? Let's repeat that. God use me. Okay, let's add a word for today, okay? The, the idea of excuselessness. God use me anyway. Oh, you slowed down on that one, didn't you? Let's see that one more time. God use me anyway. Yeah. And I mean that in both senses of any way and anyway. Okay? God use me. You know, see, see, Jesus talked a lot about excuses, didn't he? You know, he, he used to picture the kingdom of God like a big banquet. And he had people coming. He had people committed. He had people all ready to go. They were all excited about the banquet. But as the banquet time appeared, as the banquet time got close, everybody started giving him dumb excuses. Well, I've bought a new ox and I have to go try it out. <laughs> It'd be like, uh, I bought a new Lexus. I'm going to go for a drive. What? I've got the best banquet you've ever seen. I've got the kingdom of God right here. Oh, I've got to go try out a new ox. One guy says, I've married a wife. I'll come in a couple of decades. You know, some control issues there. Your wife didn't give you permission to come to the banquet. You know, Go ask your mommy. You know. <laughs> Excuses. You know? And one by one by one, they came up with these lame excuses. And you know what Jesus did? This is just amazing to me. He says, I want you to go out, skip those guys. If they've got excuses, bag that noise. I want you to go out and find all the people who have tons of excuses, but they don't use them. He says, I want you to go find the blind, find the lame, find those who are mute, can't even talk. I want you to find all those that are poor and don't even see themselves as able to come into I want you to find all the excuse-ridden folks who won't use those excuses and bring them in. And you know what happens? All of those people who had every reason not to come, they were blind, they were lame, they were poor, etc., etc., they flooded the banquet because they wouldn't let the excuses stop them from what God had in store for them. That's the key for today. That's the key for today. They said, God... Use me anyway. God, I want to be with you anyway. And that's God's big picture plan for every one of us. No blindness on a physical basis. No muteness. No lameness. Nothing from the physical can keep us out of God's glorious presence. Of God's glorious call. And of God's big, hairy, audacious goal. <laughs> a BHAG. Big, Harry, audacious, God purpose. Yeah. So what is it that he's placed in your heart? What is it that he's calling you to do for him, with him, 
What ministry is he asking you to engage in? What could he compel you <laughs> to be excuseless in? And what would hold you back? What would hold you back from experiencing the very, very best that God has in store for you? You know, when you get to heaven and glory, don't you want to be able to enter the same way Jesus did? He said before he even died on the cross, he said, I have finished the work that you called me to do. And everybody's like, wait a minute, isn't the biggest work he had to do on the cross? Before he ever went to the cross, he said, in the garden, I have finished the work you've given me to do. And you say, so what was the work that he'd finished? Maybe in essence, he was already in his mind done with the cross. But no, I think it was training those 12 excuse givers. <laughs> training those 12 men and, and to take their lives. He had accomplished in three years what God the Father had called. And don't you want to get to heaven and go, I've done what you've asked me to do. I partnered with you, and it was a blast. Rather than cowering and saying, I, I know I reneged. I know I set aside what your plan for me. We want to go, not boldly because of us, but boldly because he's called us, like he called Moses, to participate in the greatest ministry, leading men and women, boys and girls, a generation of people today to the throne of God, to the call of the banquet, to the love of Jesus Christ and the foot of the cross. And he wants to use your life and my life like never before. Don't let age, don't let circumstances, don't let the culture, don't let anything keep you from answering the call where you could pray like Jesus. Amen. Today, I have accomplished what you've called me to do. Compel those who have any excuses to instead bring them to the Lord. Let's go through these real quick. The excuses Moses used. The first one, it probably affects all of us in the room to some degree. Because Moses begins by feeling his own lack of worth. His own lack of worth. I am unworthy. In fact, he uses this phrase. Moses said to God, who am I? I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. He feels inadequate. And by the way, I want to say, if you've got a big, hairy, audacious God purpose in your life, you're going to feel somewhat inadequate. That's healthy to feel like this is beyond me. Don't let it be used as an excuse, but be realistic about it. In fact, I'd say if you don't have a sense of this is big, bigger than me. You might want to pray longer and harder because God wants to give you a bigger vision. <laughs> he loves to give you a vision so big that you can't accomplish it by yourself. He wants to give you a vision so big for ministry, for leadership, for loving people to Jesus that you can't do it by yourself. And you'll go, who am I that God would use me? But not use it as an excuse. Not use it as a, uh, an excuse, but a realistic assessment for where you were at in this God-sized picture. <laughs> Moses could say, I've got a past. I'm a wanted man. I'm past my prime. Dare I dream again? And God says, here's his answer. 
I will be with you. Okay? It isn't all on you. You can say, who am I? But say it this way. Who am I connected to God? Who am I in the equation of God plus me equals unbelievable? By myself, the Bible says, on your own, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But he says, if you abide in me, John 15, you can do everything you need to do. Everything he's called you to do, you can do because of his presence. He says, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you're going to worship on this mountain. You're going to worship on this mountain. So two things. I'll be with you in my presence as you go through this. And when it's all over, we're going to have a presence party. Okay? We're going to so celebrate. I will meet you on this mountain. And you will worship me here. In a lot of ways, that's what God does with us. He says, I will be with you every step of the way. But then, but then, there's a time that's coming where I will wipe away every tear from their eye. There's a time that's coming when darkness and sickness and death will be no more. There's a time, just like this group on the mountain, I'm going to enjoy you forever. His presence now and his presence even more to come. Just like that, that's our, where we take our unworthiness instead of letting that be an excuse. We say, God, use me anyway. Let's do that one more time. God, use me anyway, even when I am unworthy, unworthy of all that he's called us to be. Remember in the book of Acts, they looked at the people that were leading the church, the apostles, and they said they noticed that these ignorant, that's one word they used, uneducated, common men, they were fishermen, carpenters, they were common men, were amazing. They got, why? Why were they so used by God? The next phrase says, but they noticed they had been with Jesus. You see, the presence of Jesus changed the worthiness of the person. So they became vessels used by God in amazing ways. These ignorant, uneducated, common laborers became mighty men of God and women of God as leaders because of one thing, the presence of God presence of Christ in their life. That's why he says, abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. You'll bear much fruit that remains. You'll bear much fruit for him. So even though we are unworthy, we ask him to use us anyway. Let's go to the next one. This is the uh, excuse that says, I am unknowing. I don't know enough. I haven't got it square enough. I don't know enough in my head my brain, etc. This is where Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, hey, 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 so who's, what's his name? What's the name of this guy? What's the name of this God? Then what shall I tell them? I mean, he's, there's some legitimacy to this question, 
Because Moses was raised in a polytheistic culture. In other words, the people in society of Egypt had many, many, many gods. And that's how he was raised. He heard from his mom and he heard from his sister. He heard from his family about the true God. But he was raised with a multiplicity of gods. Then he goes into the desert to the Midianites. He's in the deserts of Midian. And the Midian God is a different God than the Hebrew God. In fact, his father-in-law, Jethro, is a priest. <laughs> he's herding sheep for the priest of Midianites. So he's got to ask this question, okay, God, when I go to them, who do I say sent me? Because I don't know enough. I don't have it in my head. <laughs> no. What shall I say? Who do I say sent me? Does that, does that unknowing ever affect you? Me? I don't know enough? Oh, I get it all the time. I can't teach a five-year-old class. I don't know enough. No? Wait a minute. You're saying, can you learn on a weekly basis with the kids? You know? Or I can't tell someone about Jesus. I can't deal with my neighbor. I can't work with that person across the cubicle from me because I don't know. What if they ask me a question? Oh, that's kind of what he's saying. <laughs> what if they ask me? What if they ask a question I don't know? Find out. In fact, here's what, here, here's what God answers him. I love this. The first one, God answered, my presence. In this one, my person. My person, they're really closely related, but a little bit different. In this case, he says, not only will I be with you, but here's who I am. And he uses this phrase, I am the great I am. I am who I am. This is a four-letter uh, phrase. This is a tetragrammaton. It's consonants where you fill in the vowels. We think of it and call it today uh, Yahweh or Jehovah. That's the two translations we make for this. When he says, I am. That's translated, I am. It just says, who's God? He is. What do you mean he is? He is everything you need him to be. At just the moment you need him to be what you need him to be, he is. Jesus played on that a lot. In fact, 17 times Jesus used that phrase. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the true vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the son of God. I am. He, he, he filled in the blank of who the I am really is. In fact, that's what got him into trouble when he used that phrase, that phrase right there in the court when they said, who are you? He said, I am that I am. And that's when they said, hang the dude, kill him now, stone him or put him on the cross. Blasphemy. Because they knew he was using the covenant name of God for himself. So what God gives us when we don't know enough is his person, who he is, his identity, not our identity. It's his person. In fact, I am who I am. This is what you are to say 
to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. This open-ended statement of fact. In fact, uh, all that is vital is that you know him. In the New Testament, it talks about God and if filling in that blank. I am love. God is love. <laughs> well, that fills that blank in. And this person of Jesus, this loving son obeying a loving father is exactly what God looks like. You and I have the advantage that Moses didn't have. <laughs> we get to see the I am fleshed out in Jesus. Who is God? He looks exactly like Jesus. Because Jesus is God. You want to know what? In fact, it says he's the exact representation for the divine nature. Who is God? He looks just like Jesus. That's why we can get people connected to Jesus. If someone says, I, I don't believe in religion, agree with them. We're not talking about religion. We're talking about a relationship with a person. The person of the Son of God. The person who is Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah. That's the person that answers the question. And that's all you've got to know. All you've got to know is Jesus. Get acquainted with him. Spend time with him. Love on him and let him love on you. Because he's the one, ultimately, that is the person that matters. He's the one who loves us more than we love ourselves. He's the one who died on the cross for us. That's all we've got to get across to people, how much God loves them. So in spite of not knowing, we pray, God, use me anyway. Let's do that together. God, use me anyway. Even if we don't know enough, all we got to know that's vital to us knowing is who God is and who Jesus is. Take a minute and uh, you've seen this little kid. I'm thinking this is about how Moses looks to God at this point in the story. Go ahead and start that. Okay, turn it up a little. This is how not to parent, okay? This is not good parenting here.
shouldn't bring it down. No, not. Go ahead and bring it down, right? So this is a lesson in how not to parent. But I'm just thinking, this is probably the way God's seeing Moses at the minute, you know, at the moment. He's giving him this plan, and, and Moses is throwing up these things. In fact, let's deal with the next thing. He says, I am unauthorized. I am unauthorized. Moses says, what if they do not believe me or listen to what I say and say the Lord did not appear to you? In, this, uh, in these excuse-giving things, now he's kind of going on the idea that they're not going to believe me. They're not going to listen to me. Does that ever affect Christians today? Where we say, I'm not going to tell them about Jesus. They're not going to believe me in this world. No, and fear of their disbelief and our unauthorization, our lack of authorization. We sometimes feel this about ministry and about witnessing, that we are in essence, unauthorized. And what God wants us to do is so grow our witness, grow our ministry around a couple of things. In this case, it's really around his power. It's around his power. He has not left us powerless, just the opposite. We have resurrection power. We have testimony power. We have changed lives and the power that we see God at work and at play in everyday lives. And so the answer is his power. Then the Lord said, and we used this last week, what is in your hand? A staff, he replies. The Lord says, throw it to the ground. Moses threw it to the ground and became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out and take, the, uh, take your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. Remember I was talking about as he did it? This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, has appeared to you. See, God loves to let his power draw people to him. He has not given us an impotent word. He has given us the potency the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has given us a confirmed word. The Bible says that the apostles and Jesus himself confirmed the word that they spoke. So when we share the power of God, it's encapsulated in the word of God. And he says, this is how they are going to believe. Goodness, we've got far more than Moses had a snake and a staff is nothing compared to resurrection on the third day. Okay? We've got an amazing authorization based on that. Now, now, now God didn't just stop with that. God said, Moses, take your hand. This is getting pretty risky. I mean, it's one thing to be a staff. But he says, take your hand and put it inside your robe. Okay. Now take it out. Whoa! It was leprous. It was diseased. It was decaying. It was con contaminated and beginning to pollute the rest of his body. Interesting. God gives the disease. We're always thinking about God healing disease, right? In this case, to show his power, he actually gave the disease. And then he said, Moses, put that hand back in your coat, in your robe. So Moses put it back in his robe. And when he took it out, 100% healing. He said, 
I want to show my power over the circumstances of this life. When we said earlier, God saw the misery of his people and he knew the captivity. He wasn't blind to it. He's not blind to any one of our sufferings. One more thing God did. He said, take some water. And he took some water and God showed him his ability to turn water into blood. In fact, that's a precursor of one of the plagues where he's going to turn the Nile River into blood. God shows his power to his people. And God's way is always above our way. We can't figure it out, but we can rest in it and let his power be utilized in ours. In fact, I use this phrase sometimes. God does not call the qualified, but he qualifies the ones he calls. Okay? He loves to take people who might feel inadequate, who might feel unqualified, who might feel unauthorized, and bring them to a point where they say, this is the Lord, this is not me. In fact, God took the isolation in the desert for Moses. He took the inspiration of the burning bush, and he turned it into a call on Moses' life that lasted for the next 40 years in his life. So even though I am not qualified, say this with me, even though I am not qualified, God use me anyway. Yeah. Last one, and we'll finish with this. This one's on ability. Okay? This is when he says, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent. Now, now, this is a guy who's trying to be eloquent with the God of the universe. <laughs> He's got an argument going with God here. You know? He says, pardon me, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. So just because you talk to me now, I've not gotten eloquent. I am slow of speech and tongue. Can any of you relate to that? They say the number one fear in the United States is the fear of public speaking. <laughs> That's what he's relating to, right? Okay. I am not eloquent. Now, somebody said uh, maybe it was about the time that he... God told him to pick up the snake, that he kind of got a stutter. You know, pick up the snake, and you're, but, 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 Lord, you know, <laughs> we don't know. But he's saying, I am not eloquent. I am unable to do what you're calling me to do. You want me to go stand before Pharaoh and the courts of thousands and declare your deliverance for these people? I can't do that with this mouth. I am unable to do so. And here's God's answer. I will provide. He says this way. Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? It's a good question, right? Who created that mouth that's on your tongue, this mouth that's on your face? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go. <laughs> now go. You've thrown out all these excuses, but I'm saying go and I will help you speak. You see that? I'm going to help you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to lead, guide, and direct, but I'm going to help. That's why the Holy Spirit's called the helper. And I will teach you what to say. Matthew 10, 19 says, when you stand before judges, when you stand before magistrates, and you don't know what to say, he says, be confident. 
I will teach you, I will help you, that what you say isn't just from you, he says. It'll be from me. That's his provision. That's God's provision for us in New Testament days. Ends up saying that um, Moses was educated. This is the end of <laughs> Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. I don't want to make too much of this, but even though Moses wasn't eloquent, he was powerful. God used his tongue and told him what to say and how to say it. And God used him anyway. So what tightly held excuses keeping you from all God has planned for you, from your big, hairy, audacious God purpose? What is it that God's calling you to do that would uh, bubble up some excuses, but then those excuses disappear, you sense God's got a bigger picture for you? What is it that God would call you to do and to say that you'd say, throw away all the excuses? In fact, what if we think about your ability, what you can do versus what you can't do? God's calling on you, he's calling on me to trust him and his provision that we would be like, he, like Moses, powerful in speech. What self-limiting beliefs do you need to break free from? What excuses need to go out the window that you would lose those? Moses said, pardon your servant, but please send somebody else. Instead of just saying, here am I, send me. What if Moses instead had said what we've been saying all morning, God use me anyway. Let's do it together. God use me anyway. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your call on our lives. Thank you that you don't just call us, but you equip us. Thank you that you reduce every one of our flimsy excuses to rubble, and you cause us to know you, to love you, and to grow in you. Heavenly Father, we're asking you today that you would embed this lesson in our hearts, that we would throw out all of our excuses and just trust in you. Lord, I'm praying for anyone here this morning who's not yet trusted in you initially, that has not put their uh, need for forgiveness, their need for salvation, their cleansing of their sins in your keeping and in your hands. I pray that there would be no excuses. It wouldn't be because we're so good in ourselves. It wouldn't be because our parents or our country or our nation is so good. Instead, just the opposite, that we would trust you completely anyway, that we would have confidence in your leadership over us. Lord, I pray for salvation and the utilization of every person in the kingdom partnership that you've called us to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.